0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, an excellent conversation between our sports director, Kelly Moore, and Craig Heisinger, the assistant general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. On number 11, Nate Thompson will be wearing that for the Jets. The importance of that number and the connection to the late Rick Rippen. We'll also preview the World Series about to get underway with Jamie Bettens of the MJBL. That's all on the podcast. So let's just get right into our opening segment today. As the Winnipeg Jets announced number assignments for some of the new players who will be joining the team whenever this upcoming season starts. Defenseman Dylan DeMello, who wore 12 when he joined the team in February, will wear number two. Fellow Blue Liner Derek Forbert gets 24. Paul Stastny again wearing 25, just like he did when he joined the team two years ago. Dominic Toninato has been given 21. And for the first time since the team relocated from Atlanta, a player will wear number 11, which, as CGOB's Kelly Moore suggested to Jets assistant general manager Craig Heisinger today, is a very special one for the organization.
1: I don't want to um, use too strong a word. I mean, the the number's not retired. It's a it's an honored number and it's a protected number, but it's not a it's not a retired number. And those numbers. Those numbers are there for players to wear under the right circumstances. And even going back to when I was an equipment guy, you hold numbers. You know, there's certain guys you, you might, might, maybe maybe the GM traded a guy and you really liked them. Like, for instance, Dave, Allitt, number two was not a number we gave out for a long time in Jets Jets 1.0. I mean, obviously the number 11 resonates for a lot of people organizationally in True north. Going back to Moose 1.0 because the trainers were uh, essentially the same, and going to Jets 2.0. Now nobody's worn the number 11 in Jets 2.0, although that was going to be Rick's number. It was it was one of the things he asked for when he signed here, um, so it was not going to be given out easily. But there, the, this day was going to come when 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 somebody asked for it and wanted to wear it for the right reasons and. Um, the number that Nate knows the the history behind the number, he's honored to wear the number and he's going to bring great honor to the number. And it's not like we just took his word for it. I had to, I, in my mind, needed to check with some important people, two people that had played with him, to check, um, that they, they thought he was worthy of the number. Those two guys being Kevin Bieksa, who played with. With, with Nate and also played with Rick. And Ben Sherrod, who didn't play with Rick, but knew, knew the significance of the number in our organization, but played with him in Montreal. And uh, Nate checked the boxes for both those guys. And then after that, the calls needed to be made to Rip's granny and to his dad and to talk the situation through with them. And I think everybody's very comfortable that, that uh, Nate's the right person to, to uh, put this this jersey over his, over his shoulders and carry on Rick's tradition. Um, he's had some challenges of his own, and he's out front and forthright with that and wants to help people going forward. And those are all messages that Rick wanted to deliver. So at this time, um, I, think, uh, I think it's the right thing to do is to get number 11 back out on the ice and remind people what that number's all about
2: and i know in reading the uh the great story that jamie thomas wrote uh that's on the team website jamie from jets tv and and nate took the initiative to talk to kevin Biexa about this beforehand too which which tells you a lot of what you want to know
1: yeah he he picked up the phone he called juice before he called me and and he hadn't made up his mind yet he wanted to do his own due diligence as much as we wanted to do the due diligence on Nate. He wanted to understand the pressures that would come along with wearing a certain number. And, um, he, he made those calls. Uh, he called Kevin, he called myself. We talked it, we talked it through. I said, you know, what I, what I said to him was, I I need to check with some other people, uh, meaning, meaning Kevin and, and Benny and, and Rip's parents and grandparents. To make sure everybody was on side with this, that all the boxes were checked. And I think all the boxes are checked. Um, I think, I think, uh, you know, number 11 being back out on the ice will get people thinking about the old number 11 and what he represented and what he meant to this franchise. And, and that's a tremendous amount. Even though we never ever, even though he never played a game, his, his number, his name and his project live on. And, and
2: that's important to all of us. It sure is. Uh, yeah, and, and I've only watched Nate Thompson play from afar, uh, but I would say there, uh, there there wouldn't be too much of a difference in, in how he approaches the game compared to how Rick Rippon did as well. So I, I'm just wondering, Craig, in the previous nine seasons since the team has returned from Atlanta, uh, had there ever been any other requests to wear number 11, or were there any other players who, you know, Maybe might have missed a couple of ticks of the boxes. You don't need to name names, but just if if this is the first time that having somebody wear number eleven has come up, or were there other situations previously where it was it was thought about?
1: No other situations. Never even been contemplated. Um, uh, maybe it was brought up to uh, the equipment guys when they talked about guys uh, about numbers, but most guys would shy away uh, once when, once hearing the story. Uh, I think Nate embraced it. You said it earlier. You think his his style of play embodies the way Rick played and and would make Rick proud, and I agree with that. But I probably agree even more that his struggles away from the rink and his success uh, now that he's been able to have uh, coming to grips um, with some off-ice demons um, would make Rick even prouder. And I think more so his his. His commitment off the ice is, is, is what tells us he's the right guy more so
2: than on the ice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And how significant is that, Craig? I, I, I don't know if the Winnipeg Jets could have had any idea of knowing that when Nate signed that contract a, a week and a half ago, that it coincided with the fourth anniversary of his sobriety. I mean, how does that happen?
1: No, uh... Uh, I don't think any of us know how these things happen. Uh, I don't know that we know when, 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 uh, when addictions or mental wellness find their way under your roof or anyone else's roof. Uh, We learn about things in different ways and and, um, things happen for different reasons. And maybe, maybe Ripper was part of that. Who knows? Um, Lots of times, Lots of times I think he's watching down, and I'm not a religious man, but lots of times yeah. I think he, he's watching down on, on, on some things that happen, and um, it just all the due diligence with Nate, um, he just seems like the the right person at the right time for all the right reasons, and maybe it's for a year, maybe it's for longer, maybe it never gets worn again after this, who knows? Yeah. But, there is a reason and a right reason for number 11 to be on the ice. And for this coming up season, it would seem that Nate Thompson is the right guy for the job.
2: For sure. Craig Isinger, the assistant uh, general manager of the Winnipeg Jets, joining us. And uh, for anybody who's been around these parts uh, for any stretch of time, will know that Zinger was one of the very best at his trade as an equipment manager before he moved into the ivory towers. Um, I say that tongue in cheek, but uh, saying just before we let no, you go, you don't. No, okay. <laughs> before we let you go, though, I have to ask you, uh, so we can add maybe a little bit of, of uh, a less serious tone to this conversation. Is there ever, was there ever an occasion in whether it's been since you've become an assistant uh, GM, uh or when you're you know you also are the g m of the Manitoba moose, but has there ever been a humorous time that 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 came up about a number where you know whether a player got all warped over it or or really went to town on on trying to get a number i i, I still remember Randy Carlyle trying to get a case of uh hundred dollar a bottle of wine i think from Team Solani for number eight
1: yeah i mean that that's that's obviously uh that's obviously a little bit more testy of a story than that was that 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 one that that one worked out in the end um i don't know um you I mean there's different scenarios you have to go through i mean you you mentioned you mentioned paul stasney wearing 25 i mean that's not a number that's that's been given out easily right. i i remember in moose 1.0 when uh dan kessa came here and he wanted to wear number 25 i mean as much as thomas wasn't uh a manitoba moose but it was it was hockey it was hockey tradition in, in Winnipeg and Thomas was hockey royalty. Like you yeah. just didn't give out number twenty five to just anybody. You, you had to you had to think about it, you had to talk to Thomas. I mean, nobody had worn nobody had worn number eleven um uh after Scott Arneal wore until until Rick wore Yeah. And I remember calling Scott Arneal and asking him I said, look, we got this kid coming in. I think you'd really like him. I think he'd be a good guy to get number eleven back into circulation. So there's different numbers that mean different things to different people. It's usually it's usually the trainers that are the keeper of the vault for the numbers, mm-hmm. and they know the players the best. And the guys that get a number right away might be, you know, a, a, a guy they like the least, and the number that gets put out put out uh, long after the guy's gone is probably a guy they like the
2: best right on yeah well yeah you talk about the correlation between paul stastny and thomas steam with number 25 and you mentioned earlier in our conversation zinger about uh, dave cowboy ellett so with dylan Demello, is i know i'm pretty sure he wore that number previously in his career but is there any kind of connection between Ian and ellett because dylan Demello comes across to me as as the kind of a guy that Winnipeg Jet fans will absolutely love as they get to know him better.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know that there's any correlation. I think the correlation is that he wore that number previous in his career. And, yeah. and as an organization, but more, more importantly, as equipment guys, you're, you're very respectful of that. And, I mean, those are, those are the players' identity. Um, that's, that's As much as they have their given name, their number is attached to them for the rest of their life as well. Um, so I think you have to be respectful and and uh, and think those things through and 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 no is never really the answer a player's looking for anyway.
2: Yeah, right. I think we can uh, safely say though, uh, as significant as as today is with the awarding of number eleven, there is one number that is untouchable in this franchise. Uh, uh, I would say with uh, number ten.
1: I would think that moving forward that. Um I guess I I would never say never because in today's world never is a strong word. Yeah. but I would think it would it's highly unlikely just based on some of the things we talked about um uh, meaning the the uh the pressure that comes comes with number 10 um but there might be somebody that wants to wear that 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 decision will be made higher than my pay grade type thing. But I mean um it would not be uh, it would not be an easy yes, mm-hmm. but never is a strong word. I think it's very very highly unlikely, but never is a strong word.
2: Message taken. Zinger. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I hope the view looks good from the tower.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. Nice talking to you again. Take care.
0: Right now, I want to talk some baseball. Because we had some fantastic baseball over the weekend. Both League Championship Series went to a Game 7. Just fantastic action. We've got our final two in the postseason. It's Dodgers and Rays Game 1 tomorrow night. So with this off day, it gives us a chance to preview the action with Jamie Bettons, president of the Manado manitoba junior baseball league love having them on to talk baseball and jamie back in july when we had the marlins shut down and then we had the cardinals shut down we weren't sure if we'd ever get to this point having a a world series with fans in the stands no less in texas are you surprised they got it done did you think we'd get here i didn't but uh, i'm very happy that we
3: did um, baseball has its ups and downs for sure, but playoff baseball is, uh, is unmatched. I mean, the NHL playoffs are wonderful too, but there's just something about the drama in, uh, late, late inning ball games that, uh, seems to be very attractive to even the, the fairweather
0: fan. And we got two game sevens in the league championship series for just the third time ever And I safe to say both games lived up to it. Absolutely. Last night's game between the Braves and Dodgers. I don't have a horse in the race. I think I was cheering for the Braves slightly, but that was just a phenomenal game.
3: Yeah. All all around. um, You know, I think, A majority of the people were probably pulling for Tampa Bay to beat Houston, given the track record of what the Astros have kind of done over the past few years and the scandal. But um, the the Dodgers was a bit of a feel-good story, and uh, Atlanta deserved to be there. It would have been nice to see them in there, too, but uh, I think we got the two best going uh, in the final.
0: Well, and you think, this? we talked before the playoffs started, and you picked Tampa, and... Dodgers and you know you pick the two best teams. Congratulations! But at the same time, it doesn't always happen that way in baseball. And to think, you know, all the best of three series we had, it could have been chaotic. In the end, we got the best teams in the World Series.
3: Yeah, we we got what we wanted for, and and you know, it the model proved itself out, I guess. And you know, the teams that went through what they did through all of these troubling times, you know, hung with it. And um, it's a little bit different when we talk about the. I guess, the finances of the rosters. Um, but in the end, it's the two best teams, and, and that's what we're that's what we're going to enjoy.
0: Well, the finances are, are stark. I mean, the, the Rays forever have not spent a lot of money on their roster. I think Kershaw and Betts combined probably make more than the entire Tampa Bay Rays team does. But that's not to say that the Dodgers have gone out, gone out and bought their team. The majority of their roster has either been drafted and developed or guys that were just pl- plucked out of nowhere like Max Muncie.
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, they're homegrown guys, um, but they're they're also shown to that they're willing to pay their homegrown guys when they do become, you know, the, the top dollar people. And when it's time to go out and get that much better faster, they'll go out and get a Mookie Betts to supplement that. And uh, that's why, you know, you would never I don't think you could ever call a team like the Dodgers a dynasty when they don't win it as often. But, uh, you know, you certainly want to call them a perennial. That's for sure.
0: Well, three times in the last four years getting to the World Series now. They lost in 2017 to the Astros. They lost in 2018 to the Red Sox. And the asterisks that are there obviously exist for many. But for the Dodgers, it's, it, they got to win, right? This is If they don't win this World Series, they're like the Buffalo Bills in the 90s. It's great that you got there. Very few teams get there that much, but you got to get a win,
3: yeah, it, it's time. Um, no longer can they can they be that that second place tier without having to blow up that lineup. You know, I, th- I think this would be their last kick at it. If they do, you know, they have a great chance of keeping it together and, and keeping the model. But if they don't, something would have to change for sure.
0: Well, I was thinking if they had lost to the Braves, that Dave Roberts would probably be the the first shoe to drop. Right, the manager gets to be the scapegoat, wouldn't you think?
3: It probably would have happened today. If they would have lost last night, he would have been the first to go. Absolutely. Did the Braves? It's, it's, sorry, continue. No, it's it, it's not on the it's not on the players in those kind of situations. There's too much money invested, so the coach is usually the easiest to go. And and Dave Roberts has, has the luxury of managing a lineup that you know gets a Mookie Betts at the beginning of the season. And if you can't put it together, there's just a lot of pressure to make those changes.
0: So the Braves are are good, and they're missing. Mike Soroka, who's one of their best pitchers, he's a Canadian guy, and they had a 3-1 series lead, and it's another Atlanta sports failure across the many sports that they've endured over the past couple decades since the Braves won their last World Series, but did they choke, or did the better team just win? I think the better team won.
3: Uh, Freddie Freeman was quoted in an interview post-game saying, you know, our guys have nothing to be ashamed of. They can all go to bed tonight knowing that they laid it all out on the line. You could look to Acuna, Jr. and a few players that maybe struggled at the plate, but that's going to happen in a playoff series, especially when you have matchups and you're bringing in relievers to key in on certain guys. Um, I, I think they did absolutely, but they could have done. I don't think. I think they would have exceeded expectations. Mike Soroka could have been a difference maker, um, but I don't know if it was going to be enough to beat the Dodgers.
0: And the reality is, for the Braves, right? They have a very young team that is likely, and you never know with baseball, likely to be a threat in the NL for many years to come. Absolutely, and they're
3: cost-controlled. Everybody in Canada, at least, seems to know what the job that Alex Anthopoulos is capable of. And uh, with the cost control that they have on their pitching, it's going to allow them to maybe go out and get a a key piece that may, you know, add to that lineup as well. Maybe a little bit more thump in the middle of the order to help out Freddie Freeman. Um, You know, I think there's going to be some bats available out there. And uh, they'll be a a force to be reckoned with for a, a number of years, I think.
0: And one last word on the Astros before we preview the World Series here. Yes, they cheated in 2017. But there's a lot of talent on this squad. Hate them if you might. They rallied from three-zero down in a series where every game was in the balance. Late. Absolutely. I don't.
3: I had a hard time um, naming their starting pitching. You know, when Fromber Valdez takes the ball and and uh, your 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 Kitty goes and takes the ball. I mean, they had guys come out of nowhere and take on huge high leverage positions, which only tells me that they've got a little bit of a factory brewing there and and. They're going to be poised to, to come back strong and, and probably embrace that kind of uh, bad guy role for the next couple of seasons.
0: All right, so it's Rays Dodgers in the World Series, Tampa Bay. It's the way they always do it. It's with a lot of guys you may have never heard of toiling in anonymity down in Florida, and the guy who's come out of nowhere for them this year is Randy Arosarena, who is a rookie who has twenty-one hits. This postseason. And I know there's those couple extra games in the wild card round that weren't there before, but we're seeing one of the most incredible postseasons put together by anybody. As the record for most hits in a postseason is 26, he seems like he could definitely beat that. Where do Rays just find these guys? You know,
3: great scouting and, and holding on to their scouting staff. You don't hear of a lot of teams poaching the Rays people because they seem to like that. Uh, internal kind of family concept that they have and when you can keep guys together and you can keep a manager like Kevin Cash from going somewhere else for the money um, you know players want to play and and sometimes the best recruiting tool is is uh, word of mouth and when you have players talking about what it's like to play there doesn't matter what the stadium conditions are like Um, you know you see the hockey players kind of gravitating and embracing the city more Um, it's more about location and, and and that family atmosphere and that might be what we're seeing here.
0: Because I think for most casual baseball fans, they'll know the Dodgers just because they've been in the World Series for the three the last four years now. But I'll be honest, I watch an, an okay amount of baseball, and I haven't heard of the majority of the people on this Rays roster.
3: No, um, you know, it, it's very similar to what the Raptors do in, in basketball, actually. And they're getting a lot of global players when you talk about some of the players from Hong Kong, their cleanup hitter from uh, Sutsugo is from Japan. Like they've got players kind of from all over the place, which allows them to get them at maybe a bit of a bargain price, put their right lineup together and, and uh, they realize what they need with regards to pieces rather than going with a, a core philosophy.
0: Can they beat the Dodgers?
3: I think they can. I think it's going to be very difficult to do. Um, I, I think the starting pitching has an opportunity there, but I think it just kind of cancels out. If you look at Glasno going against a Bueller, and then you just look at Kershaw, I just, something tells me, you know, Kershaw is kind of my Steve Iserman of hockey. You you kind of root for the guy to get his, his championship here. And, and I think that he's not going to be denied.
0: Because the Rays offense in that series against Houston, they were out hit for the majority of that series. They were just able to get out of trouble a lot against those Houston bats.
3: The defense for Tampa is is really the calling card here. I don't know pitching wins championships. I'm not sure if defense wins championships um, because if your pitching doesn't stack up, you can't just rely on the defense. I mean, Tampa's made it this far that way. Um, I just think that the the LA hitters uh, seem to be clutch. You know, they had a bit of a stubbing their toe at the beginning of the Atlanta series, but the real team kind of showed through in the past few games, and I just don't think that that's going to be something Tampa could uh, could equal to.
0: Well, and the problem with the L.A. lineup is they could be super quiet for the whole series like Bellinger, and he gets the biggest hit of the whole series, or bets coming through late in that series. And then you get random hits from Kike Hernandez and Will Smith, each with colossal momentum churning t- home runs. They're just so dangerous, top to bottom, especially when you take the DH and you put that in there now for the NL teams.
3: One through nine, no question on paper, the Dodgers have the stronger lineup. Um, The matchups will be, you know, easier to exploit with regards to the Tampa relievers and who L.A. wants to hit in certain situations, because even the guys coming off the bench, you know, if Max Muncy comes off the bench or some of these other players, they can hit and they can hit in any situation. And they're not guys that, you know, are looking to lift the ball, hit home runs. They're looking to make contact and, and get extra bases and, and, and really create the RBI situations. And that that's what makes them so tough.
0: What do you think of the fact that they have some fans there in Texas?
3: I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know... I, I, I guess it. I don't know if at this point it's a money-making opportunity as much as it's maybe a PR move to just say, you know, we're trying our best to accommodate our fans. Um, it, it does create a bit of a home field advantage. I don't know how much, you know, the LA Dodgers relied upon that yesterday. Um, but it's it's a nice touch in troubling times, I guess you could say.
0: And before I let you go, obviously, let's put it on the record. You're, sounds like you're going to pick the Dodgers. How long is the series going to go?
3: I think six, maybe even seven, but I think the Dodgers uh, get what they deserved probably last year. And I think uh, Clayton Kershaw, I, I wouldn't call him the MVP here, but I think he's going to have some sort of special place in this that will cement him uh, and give him the credit that he richly deserves. He, right now, I think he gets a bit of a bad rap in playoffs, and something tells me this will be his time.
0: Well, to be fair, though, the numbers bear that out that late in games in the playoffs, he is tend to be roughed up, and that's not necessarily on him. Maybe he should be hooked earlier in games, but his World Series ERA in his career is over five, and it gets worse every round. So he, there's an opportunity here for an enormous redemptive tail for him.
3: Absolutely. You know, it would have to be one of those opportunities where. Third time through the order, he, he does what he needs to do instead of, you know, maybe pleads with his manager to leave him in for one more batter and, and gives up that home run. He's just going to have to, you know, cruise through it. And I, th- I think it's not as easy in, in, in a sport like baseball as it may be in hockey or, or basketball to play around or play for a guy. But I think the Dodgers are going to do their best to make sure that uh, he gets the success he deserves.
0: Well, Jamie, as always, appreciate your time. Enjoy the remaining games of the baseball season here.
3: Thank you. Take care.
0: Jamie Bettons, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League. Clayton Kershaw, game one starter for the Dodgers tomorrow against Blake Snell. And just for context, the the Braves blow a 3-1 series lead, and that sucks. The better team won. Obviously, base running miscues in that series are going to haunt them. But if you're a Dodgers fan, I should tell you, of the 13 previous teams, that have come back from a 3-1 series deficit in the Major League Baseball postseason, 11 have won the World Series. The only two are the Red Sox in 86 and the Braves in 96, who both won the championship series, down three games to one, and then lost in the World Series. So, that's a good sign. It's a good sign if you're a Dodgers fan. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mal, or you can download the podcast on iTunes, it's actually on iTunes now! Wow! If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good! So listen to the podcast. Please? Subscribe? You can rate it. What's the worst that can happen?